0: Father, we just thank you so much for our time together here this morning. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for who we are in you. And, Lord, we have a promising future. We have a promising eternity as individuals and as a church. And so, God, we thank you for that. And, Lord, I just, this morning, I pray specifically uh, for Easter Sunday. I pray that next week you would bring the people here that you want to bring, that you would reach down into lives and you would stir people up and they maybe even drive by this place today and see the sign. Say, so I'd like to go there, check it out a little. We pray that people would come, and they would hear a message from God that they understand. We pray that they would come, and theirs would be illuminated, and it would stir their hearts. But we just commit next week to you. We pray that it would be a powerful, powerful time in the lives of many, many people. We pray that we would see people come to know Jesus and place faith in Jesus next week. And so we commit that to you. And for those in here who have people on their minds, on their hearts that they want to invite, Lord, I pray that you would give them courage to, to invite and just the, uh, the relational ability to uh, just, just spend time and share with people uh, just what you're doing here among us. And so we do pray for that as well. We pray for Charles River Church in the future. We pray that this place would be a place that has deep roots, that this will not be another church plant that comes into the city, but this church plant would come and it would stay and it would make a lasting kingdom impact in this place. And so we commit West Roxbury to you. We commit Roslindale to you. We commit Dedham into your hands, and Needham, and Newton, and Jamaica Plain, and all the surrounding communities. We commit it to you, Lord. We pray that you would do a great, mighty, and powerful work through your people and through your church. And, Lord, we just commit our time to you. Illuminate your scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, as Matt mentioned earlier, those guys did great, by the way, right? You didn't have to see them, but they are, you see them in the light. They're, they're pretty people. So... Uh, as Matt mentioned earlier, uh, today is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday marks the time in, in, in Jesus' ministry when he goes into the city of Jerusalem. As he's going into the city of Jerusalem, it's the end of his, his earthly ministry. And the crowd, it says, goes wild as the people are coming with Jesus into Jerusalem. They're just cheering, they're singing, they're chanting, and they're just excited. And this is what is referred to as Jesus' triumphal entry. And uh, the irony of the whole thing, though, is that though people are going crazy and they're rooting Jesus on and they're cheering Jesus on, the irony of the whole thing is that later on in the week, he's going to be crucified and he's going to be rejected and killed here. And so next Sunday is Easter Sunday, which marks the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we'll be celebrating that together next Sunday. Jesus comes to earth as a man. He lives the perfect life that we couldn't live. He dies the death that we deserve, that he doesn't deserve, and he resurrects back to life, giving us life. And and he gives us his righteousness. It's called the great exchange, where he says, you're not righteous, I'm righteous. I'll exchange that for you if you would place your faith in me. And that was his mission, executing justice and providing salvation for, for those who would follow him for the glory of God and the good of man. And I just want us to see as we're, we're thinking Palm Sunday, and as we're thinking about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, I want you to see this morning that Jesus was a man and on a mission. He was God in the flesh, God-man on a mission. And as we just kind of jump into this text, I just want you to be in awe of Jesus Christ, the man on a mission. So God, captivate us with your word. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and we're going to look at verses 28 through 24, or 44 this morning. Luke 19, 28 through 44. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll notice for next week that we have Bibles on the corners uh, in the front as you're coming in. You can just grab one of those. Um, But we'd encourage you to, to grab one of those Bibles. If you don't have a personal Bible of your own, take that Bible. It's our gift to you, um, but you can grab that on your way out if you, if you need to get one of those, but Luke chapter 19, 28 through 20, 44 and uh, I just want us, to, I want us to know the context that's going on here. Everything that's happening here is, is not catching Jesus by surprise. We need to know that Jesus is totally not caught off guard. He knows what's going on, and he knows what he's getting into, and so as we, as we jump into this text, I want you to know that he's not caught off guard. And so let's just kind of step back in the text for a second if we can. I want you just to allow yourself to be placed on the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem today. And I want you to know that 700 years from this date, Sunday, 700 years from this date, this prophet named Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would come into Israel and that he would be rejected and that he would be killed. Know that that 400 years from this date, God stops sending prophets, and there's this period of silence as people are awaiting the coming of the Messiah. And then 33 years from this date, or 33 and a half years from this date, this guy named John the Baptist comes in, and he sees Jesus, and he says, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Know that in three years... From this date, Jesus has has t- uh, a time where he gets with Nicodemus. And, and as he's with Nicodemus in, in secret in the night, he, he comes together with him and he tells Nicodemus, I have this from heaven and I will ascend back to heaven. And, and so Jesus has this, this beautiful time with Nicodemus. And then one year ago today, Jesus tells his followers that he will be persecuted by Jewish leaders and that he will then be put to death and he will rise again after three days and then so today jesus rides into jerusalem where it's all about to go down i mean it is all about to go down today palm sunday and the people are cheering and they're screaming for him and they're cheering him on and they say blessed is he comes in the name of the lord and as we sang earlier they say hosanna hosanna in the high so let's just read right up until this point luke chapter 19 Luke 19, 28 through 35 for starters. It says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And so for some time now you have Jesus' ministry and they're working their way towards Jerusalem. And, and here we see that Jesus is about to go in and he's about to do his great work on the cross. It's, been, it's what he's been gearing up for. And it is time. I mean, it is, it is showtime. His life on this earth, his incarnation, as some people suggest, was not simply to be a great teacher. It wasn't simply to come in here and to tell the world to love each other and to love uh, the poor and to, to serve. That wasn't simply what he came, but he came and he goes to the city as foretold with a purpose, with a mission. And his mission was to die. And so this is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it's told in all four of the Gospels. And so what we'll do is we'll kind of flip uh, through some of the Gospels and just kind of piece it all together if we can. And, and what we see is we have Jesus staying in a place called Bethphage and Beth, Bethany. And the book of John adds that just before going into Jerusalem, Jesus is having dinner with Lazarus, the man that he has raised from the dead, with Lazarus and with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And and the Bible tells us in John that there are these large crowds of people coming, Jewish people coming to see Jesus. And they're coming, obviously they want to see Lazarus, the man that was, was raised from the dead. And I need you to understand that this wasn't just CPR here. He didn't just kind of pump his heart, massage his heart, and he comes back from the dead after, you know, a couple minutes. This was an unbelievable miracle. Lazarus, the Bible tells us, was dead for four days. Dead, mummified, buried. Jesus brings him back to life. And so here we see in John, just before um, what we're looking at today, we see that that Lazarus was eating a meal with Jesus. And with uh, Jesus was also eating with Lazarus's sisters. And I, I point all this out because I want you to know that Jesus now is at the height of his celebrity. He's got all these crowds around him. He's got this history of everybody saying he's he's an amazing teacher. We've never heard anything like this. He's done all these miracles, and we want to come and see Jesus, and he's at the height of his celebrity. And what he could have done is he could have said, I'm going to hang back here in Bethany. All these crowds are coming to me. I don't have to go to them. I'll hang back here in Bethany, maybe sign a few autographs. I'll hang out here, and if ever these people are receptive for my message, now's the time. I mean, they are here to see me and to see Lazarus, so now's the time. But you gotta know this that he was a man on a mission. He had somewhere to go. He had something to do. He was going to lay his life down as a sacrifice, as a whipping boy for my sin and for your sin. And he was on a mission. And he could have just hung around, but he said, No, I gotta go, and that's why. Look back at verse 28 here. It says, he went on ahead. Though the people were there, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. He's was a man on a mission, not just a teacher, but more than a teacher. He was not just a prophet. He was more than a prophet. He was not just a healer. He was more than a healer. He was, as John said, a sacrificial lamb on his way to be slaughtered. And he knew it, and he embraced it. Said, bring it on. And I don't know about you. I'm thinking. I'm putting myself in his shoes. I would be stalling. I mean, I would do everything in my power to be stalling. Now, uh, I remember growing up as a kid, and I would get in trouble quite often. I always remember that my mom would say, "Joshua, you wait till your dad gets home. You're gonna get a whipping, right? You're gonna get a paddle on the butt." And I was, man, I would stall like it was nobody's business. And not only was I a staller, I was a stuffer. You know what I'm saying? i take t-shirts and, and those little golden books and shove them down the back of my pants. I was a stuffer. But listen, Jesus did not stall. He didn't stall. He knew why he came. He came to die. And he knew where he was going. He was going to Jerusalem. And he was going to get it done for you. He was a man on a mission. But know this. Because he's a man on a mission, we must be a people on a mission. We are a people on mission. In the Bible, all throughout the the Gospels, you hear Jesus constantly saying, the Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. I've been obedient to my Father God. The Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. And then in John chapter 20, verse 21, immediately after he fulfills that mission in Jerusalem, he appears to all the disciples, minus Thomas. You know what he says? He's fulfilled the mission. He says, the Father has sent me as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. So he was a man on a mission, and likewise, we're to be a people on mission. And I don't know about you, but that empowers me, and that should empower you. That life is simply not living for the weekends. Life is not, I'm working towards retirement, and then life will come. Life is not simply, you know what, I'm I'm just doing my thing, and hopefully better days will come. No, life is so much more than that. Let that empower you. He was a man on a mission, and he says, not only am I a man on a mission, but I, God, am empowering you, and I'm sending you on a mission. And Jesus was obedient to his Father who sent him, and now we must be obedient to Jesus who is sending us. And some of you, maybe you're thinking, Josh, come on. I mean, he's Jesus, though. You know, he's, he's God. I mean, obviously, he can do this mission. Here's the thing. John chapter 16, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to leave behind for you a helper, helper my spirit and the helper the bible says goes before us he goes with us and he empowers us through it and so we have the helper the holy spirit with us on mission but we also have the church so we're not alone on mission i don't know about you but that's 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 pretty empowering to me i played different sports throughout my uh high school years i played baseball i played uh, I, I wrestled i ran track not the gold belt buckle kind of wrestling but the spandex kind of wrestling and and I did all these different sports, but I tell you what, the sports that stressed me out were the sports that I was in alone. Track stressed me out. Wrestling stressed me out. Baseball, not so much, because I had a team. And there's something about being on mission here with a team, with the church, walking hand in hand. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, you know what Jesus says? He promises, he says, my church will be Victorious. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And so I'm here confident about the church. I'm fired up preaching to you about the church, knowing that nothing can stop Jesus' church because he says, I promise you the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church, he says. And so I'm not confident in me. I'm not even confident in you. I'm confident in Jesus who says, I will build my church, whether it be Boston, whether it be Africa the ends of the earth, I will build my church, Jesus says. And so here in Luke chapter 19, he is focused. He says, guys, we've got to get a move on it. We've got to go to Jerusalem. No stalling here. I've got a mission. My question to you is, are you focused on your mission, on the mission that God gives you? The mission for all of us, very simply, love God with everything that we've got and love our neighbors as ourselves. And then go and make disciples, which flows out of those two greatest commandments. Go and make disciples. And so are you focused on the mission, or are you focused on the crowds? See, Jesus had all these crowds around him back in Bethany and Bethphagy, coming to see him and coming to see Lazarus, who was resurrected from the dead. He could have easily been focused on the crowd and said, let's just hang back here for a while. This is good. Everybody's coming to see me. But are you focused on the crowds, or are you focused on the mission? Because what can happen is we can be focused on the crowds. We can be focused on what other people say. Here's what I have for your life. We can become so man-centered that we lose sight of the mission. The world, the crowds, uh, they tell us that, you know what? You need to focus on a portfolio. Build a great portfolio. Consume yourself with that. The, The crowds, the world, the people are telling you, please me, please me please me. Maybe it's a, a man for you. Maybe it's a woman for you. Maybe it's a professor. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a parent. And that's, that's the crowd saying, get your focus off of the mission and get your focus on me. Maybe it's building a retirement fund. That's what the world, the crowd says you should be focused on so that I can have the life that I want to live later. He says, no, I got you on mission right now. Maybe the crowd says, hey, hey, live for vacation so that you can go down to Florida. And that's what you have to look forward to. He says, don't go to Florida. Go to your neighbor first. You have a mission. You have a mission. Don't listen to the crowds. As Jesus was focused on his mission, we've got to be focused on our mission. And he's ready to roll into Jerusalem. so he kind of sets the stage. And what it says is he sends two disciples to go and to get a colt. And he says, you're going to go in and you're going to find a colt. The colt is going to be tied up. It's going to be a colt on which nobody has ever sat. And when people say, hey, 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 that's my colt. What are you doing? He says, then I want you to tell them the Lord has need of it just love the confidence of, of Jesus here. They know who I am. I mean, at this point, again, he is at the pinnacle of his celebrity. People knew who Jesus was at that point. Jesus needs it? All right, take my cold. That's an honor. That's an honor. And so this is a direct fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. And I'll just, I'll just read that for you. You don't have to flip there, but here's what it says. It says, Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and... And mounted on a donkey. I want you to hear that text. I want you to hear that. It's a very, very important text. You see, our Jewish friends, many of whom are just north of us in Brookline and in Newton, our Jewish friends missed Jesus, the Messiah. They missed him because they were expecting somebody wealthy. They were expecting somebody to come in with gold and with chariots. They were expecting somebody to come in with this spectacular entrance, with this political, military leader, and they missed him. But the important thing for us to note is that their Old Testament, their Tanakh, our Old Testament, says the exact same thing in Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, that righteous and having salvation is he, the one they're waiting on. He is humble and mounted on a donkey. He's humble he's not coming in as this this victorious on gold and chariots he's coming in humbly and as it says here mounted on a donkey so now let's continue on and read with me if you will luke 19 36 through 40 it says and as he rode along on that donkey that colt they spread their cloaks on the road and as he was drawing near already on the way down the mount of olives The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And other gospel accounts add, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you what, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so as he's pressing forward into Jerusalem, On this this mission. The people are just singing his praises. And and they start to lay their cloaks. On the road for him. John and Mark and Matthew. Gospel accounts also add that they were. Going and they were cutting down. These palm branches. These big leafy branches. And they were waving them. Victorious. He's victorious. And they were laying them on the ground. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And so you have these coats. And you have these palm branches. uh, That are kind of carpeting the way for Jesus in his entrance into Jerusalem. And these, these worshipers were beginning to, to kind of get it. See, palm branches were a Jewish national symbol. And by them laying that symbol on the ground for Jesus to walk on shows us that they were they were starting to get it a little bit. They understood that he was the king of Israel. He was of the line of David. And he would would rule over over Jerusalem that's why he's walking over a Jewish national symbol and as he's walking into Jerusalem I can just imagine many people in their hearts are saying this is it Jesus is going to go in there he's going to roll up his sleeves and he's going to put a whip up whip down on on Jerusalem he's going to show the Roman the Roman rulers who's boss and 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 they're just expecting that I can imagine they're expecting that because Israel and in Jerusalem was being oppressed by Rome and he says they're going to go in there and, and, and he's going to go in there, and he's going to show them who's boss. And they're excited about that, and they're singing his praises. And they're, they're hoping for a political Jesus. They're hoping for a military Jesus to lead Israel to independence. And so as he descends down this western side of the Mount of Olives, they carpet the ground before him, and it says that they sing loudly. They chant loudly, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest and so they're beginning to get pieces of it pieces of it he has come in the name of the lord that's why jesus says if you have seen me you have seen the father that's why later in colossians chapter 1 verse 15 it says that jesus is the image of the invisible god nobody has seen god but we can see god in the flesh as he comes to live as one of us what would god look like if you were one of us he looked like jesus and that's why we study the life and the teachings of jesus so carefully, and they're praising him. They're beginning to get it. He is God. He comes in the name of the Lord. Other gospel accounts add, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which is a quote from Psalm 118. It's a request for Jesus to save him, and it's a praise of Jesus for his ability to save him. But here's the deal. They worship him, but they worship him only in part because they're expecting this this political Leader, he wasn't coming into Jerusalem to whip up on Rome, such a temporary style of thinking. But he was going into Jerusalem that he could whip up on Satan and sin and death, and to give us life. And so they worship him by laying cloaks on the ground and palm branches on the ground, and they start to quote Bible psalms, Psalm one eighteen. But in John twelve sixteen, another gospel account that gives us a little bit of information, it says this: it says Jesus's disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. So they didn't get it fully. They didn't get it until after he was resurrected back from the dead. And see, much of of what Jesus did, much of what Jesus said, was misunderstood or just not understood at all while he was on this earth. A lot of it was understood after he resurrected back from the dead. And, and, And so Jesus here is 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 coming in but they're they're expecting a military political leader and he was coming in as the king of kings lord of lord of the whole world to defeat sin satan and death it's kind of like the roman centurion next week you, you know the story at the end of this week the jesus is crucified you know the story of the roman centurion who's watching on overseeing jesus's crucifixion and then after jesus dies after jesus dies then he says surely Truly, this man was the Son of God. A lot of people didn't get it until after it all went down. And a lot of these people didn't fully understand it until Jesus accomplished the mission. And so just outside of Jerusalem, descending down west of the Mount of Olives, people worshipped Jesus, but they weren't complete in their understanding. And I just want us to just take a quick second here and to take a bite out of this for personal church application. Here's what I want us to think about. Our worship... These guys were worshiping God. Our worship needs to be informed worship. Does that make sense? Our worship needs to be informed worship. They're worshiping God for the immediate, not the eternal, but they were they were off a bit. Our worship needs to be informed. We need to understand a bit what we're singing about. We need to not just sing catchy melodies, but we need to know the words that we're singing. Can I just be honest? Because the rest, everything else is just a lie. Let me just be honest for a second. The, the song kind of drives me nuts a bit. But you know the song, this is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your very word spoken to me. This is my daily bread. I struggle with that song because as we're singing that song, your, your, your word, it's my, my daily bread. And I'm looking around I'm saying, you're a liar. You're a liar. It's like your monthly bread. Facebook is your daily bread. This is not your daily bread. It's your weekly bread at, at best. And, and we need to understand. We need to understand that what we're saying needs to be spoken with truth. That what we're singing needs to be spoken with truth. Otherwise, as Jesus says previously in Matthew fifteen eight, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so our worship needs to be informed worship. And they worshiped only in part on this descent into Jerusalem. And I just pray, I pray that, that Charles River Church would be a group of people who sing songs to God, and who worship God, but we worship with biblically sound truths, and that we worship singing songs that reflect the character and the nature of God. We worship singing songs that really do reflect our hearts, or we just don't open our mouths at all. And that's why in here, even the songs we sang earlier today, that's why in here we sing songs that come from Scripture, Bible songs. We read and sing songs that, that reflect truths about the nature of God, And what God does is he uses the truths of songs and the truths of his scripture, if they're truth, he uses them to change our hearts and to change our minds and to, to change our lives. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says that the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword and it pierces. Because the word of God, it's kind of like the, the tool that the surgeon uses. God's doing surgery on our hearts. He's doing surgery on our minds, and he's changing us. And so when we sing, God is using the songs to... That's really annoying, isn't it? I'm sorry. God's using the, the songs to, to change our hearts and the truths to say, change our hearts. And so when we sing, our commitment to you is that we're going to sing, but we're going to sing Bible truths. Bible truths and truths of the character and the nature of God. And so our worship here must be informed worship we need to understand and they're they're descending from the mount of olives and they're praising god with scripture And luke 19 verse 37 says that they're praising god for all the mighty works that they have seen so they are praising god for for truth they saw what he did those miracles and they're praising him for those miracles but john says they didn't really get it fully until later and so they're singing and they're declaring blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord hosanna hosanna in the highest and then first verse 39 says some of the pharisees in the crowd said to him teacher rebuke your disciples they were ripped they were angry they're saying you see what jesus is doing he's pulling one of those zechariah ten uh, nine 10 9 and 10 moments he's trying to draw all this attention to himself he's he's mounting himself up on a donkey and he's coming into jerusalem all humble and they're angry and they say jesus shut your people up shut them up and what does jesus do he rebukes them and he says listen if they don't declare the truth, even the rocks will declare the truth. And Man, I tell you what, that would be a sight. The rocks will declare the truth if they don't. And I want you just to kind of see what's going on here. Up until this point in Jesus' ministry, he wasn't open, openly proclaiming to people that he was the Messiah. But now at this point in his ministry, he's going in with the mission to go into Jerusalem to die and to also make sure that everybody knows that he is Messiah the Messiah. Let there be no doubt about it. I am the Messiah. If he said it earlier in his ministry, just a few years earlier, it would have been too premature, and he wouldn't have been able to accomplish the other things that he accomplished, and so he waited till now to openly say, I am the Messiah. And so the Pharisees get this, and they say, shut him up, Jesus. Shut him up. Jesus says, no, now's the time. Announce that I'm the Messiah. I'm coming in, just as prophesied in Zechariah 9, 9 9-10. I know That it will enrage many of you. And you will want to kill me. And you will plot a plan to kill me. And he says, but that's why I'm here. So he was a man on a mission. And while people are singing his praises, others are plotting his death. While some are, are worshiping, others are scowling at Jesus. And it's such a good picture of our culture. Let's read the last chunk of scripture here together as we round third base. Luke nineteen forty one through 44. It says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation so what i want to do is i just want to kind of land the plane here let's just kind of sit here because this is a very beautiful and appropriate text for our context right now for where we're at sitting here in the city of boston i want you to get this image that jesus has been descending on this red carpet with the cloaks and with the palm branches, people singing loudly, and all this noise is around him. And as he's descending down the western side of the Mount of Olives, he comes to the last ridge. And as he comes to this last ridge, the, the city of Jerusalem comes up into view. And when he sees the city of Jerusalem, bam, he's just overwhelmed with emotion. And it says he begins to weep. In the Greek, that word means he is bewailing, he is just wailing. Aloud, it's what we call the ugly cry, you know what I'm talking about? He is just, it is just consuming him. He is just so full of emotion. He's just sobbing. He says, if you would have only known all the things here that were meant for peace. He says, but judgment is going to come. And you in this place will be destroyed. Because you did not know the day of your visitation. The day that I come to Jerusalem and I offer you life but you reject me and you hang me on a cross and so he weeps on one hand and on the other hand he declares judgment while weeping at the exact same time and we just need to see this this nature of Jesus here that he is both compassionate and he is holy and it is very easy for us to say I know what I want my Jesus to be and it's only compassionate. And so that gives us the grace and the mercy necessary to do whatever we want and to live however we want, ignoring the fact that, yes, he is compassionate and he weeps over the lost state that we're in, but he's also holy. He's compassionate and holy. And because he's compassionate and holy, he must declare that judgment because he is just and he must save some because he chooses to because it's in his nature. And his justice, his holiness, history tells us, that in AD 70, Jerusalem falls because of Rome. Verse 42, he says, He came for peace, but they rejected him. And Listen, as we said earlier, Jesus was not surprised by their rejection, but he was heartbroken by their rejection. He was heartbroken. As he's coming in on this triumphal entry, his tears begin to fall, He begins to wail out in moaning, and the palm branches and the cloaks begin to get wet with his tears, because of his compassion. And I just want us to leave today meditating on that, just thinking on that as we're at the beginning of this church here in the city. I want us to begin to think about verse 41, that he saw the city and he wept over the city. You see, city is it's a very important theme in the Bible, this concept of city. You know that our destination as Christians is a city, right? Revelation chapter 21 makes it very clear that, that we will be in a city. For those who place faith in Christ, our eternity is a city. It says it's this holy city, verse 23 of Revelation 21, where there will be no need for sun, there will be no need for moon, for light, but the glory of God will light up the place. The Bible says that the lamb that John prophesied about, the lamb will be the lamp. And he will light up the place. That's the city that we're looking for. And, and, and city has really two major characteristics. One, density, and two, diversity. And that's why we're here. This place is dense. We get to share the gospel with a lot of people. A lot of people. This place is dense, and it's diverse. So we want to reach the nations of the world where they've come to us here. And the city is marked by density and diversity, and that's the city that we have in our future as Christians. We have the city of God, eternity in a city, a holy city, a perfect city lit up by the lamp of the Lamb of God. And it will be dense with worshipers of God. It will be diverse because God says that he will reach the world with the message of Christ. And that the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters of the sea. And so we will be a dense and diverse city into eternity. Jesus was passionate about the city because that's our eternity. He's passionate about it. We won't have this this future in uh, eternity where we have our own little farm, we think mansions. And some of you are thinking, man, i got this great farm with a lot of acreage and dirt road made of gold. No, it's not a dirt road. It says it's a street made of gold. It's a city that we will reside in. It won't be boony seclusion in heaven. It will be close-knit, intimate living with God and his people. And then so if, you, if you're the loner today, you've got to get over it because your eternity is intimate relationship with God other people. That's our future. That's our eternity. And so we need to start living it now. And obviously, we can't all live in urban centers. It's just not possible. We can't all live in urban centers. Naturally, we have to move out. But the call is to begin city living, and what city living is, is when you, you're, you're in your community, you're meeting your neighbors, you're serving in your community. It's not back porch suburban living. You remember even just 30, 40, 50 years ago, everybody had front porches. Now everybody has back porches because we want to get with our family, with our people and not around everybody else. We want our privacy. It's not back porch suburban living. It's front stoop Missional living. That's city living, where we are with other people. We're meeting other people. We're being missional in our community. We're having meals together. That's biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality is not invite your Christian friend over to your house. That's not hospitality, that's fellowship. Biblical hospitality is when you invite somebody that you don't know or a non Christian to your house. That's hospitality. We need to live missionally, not as if we're in a monastery. And so Jesus weeps over the city. He had a heart for the city. Acts chapter 17, Paul has a heart for the city. He enters into Athens, and it says that his spirit was provoked within him at the city full of idols. So what about us? What about our city, our places of residence, wherever it may be? Dense, diverse. We want to interact with people. We want to be involved and engaged in people's lives. And, And I'm telling you, it's an incredible place that God has put Charles River Church at, where people are coming from all over the world to study. So we can impact the world because we're impacting this city. Very likely, a future president of the United States is just a few miles down the road at Harvard. It's incredible that we can impact the world by impacting this city. The city radiates culture. And so if we want to impact New England, we're going to obviously impact Boston. We've got to reach Boston, and that's our mission. That's why we are here, and, and much is to be learned from Jesus' tears for the city. I want us to leave meditating on that, thinking on that, that he shed tears and he continues on in his mission and he sheds blood for this city and for his people. That was his mission. That's why he was sent. And so he says, John twenty, twenty-one: as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And his compassion was coupled with his action. The compassion for the city. And he said, now I'm going to continue on and I'm going to fulfill my mission. I just pray that would be true of us, that we would cry for the city, that we'd have compassion for the city, but it would also be coupled with action. You just say, I'll pray for the city, but I'll actually do something to serve the city. I think tears for the city looks like this. Tears for the city, practically today in your life, looks like a fervent prayer life for the city. I think tears for the city looks like serving the city. I think that Tears for the City looks like giving back of time and resources into city missional living. Tears for the City looks like meeting my neighbors, meeting people at my children's school, meeting as many people as I possibly can meet to share with them the love of Christ. I think Tears for the City means we're telling people in the city about Jesus and the mission that he went on. John 20:21. 20, peace be with you, peace be with you. As I, the Father has sent me, and so I will send you. And so we're sent on a mission. Can we pray? Father God, we just thank you so much for your Son who came to dwell among us to fulfill his mission. And God, as a, as a result, Lord, we have been given life, and we have been given purpose, and we have been given a mission. And God, I pray that you would help us to live missionally. I pray that we would have tears for the city. God, I pray that we would live lives with the city in view. And God, I just pray for Boston, Lord. I pray that you would do a great work in this place through us. We commit these things to you. We commit our continued time of worship to you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.